Long ago, before geckos climbed trees, the world was a much smaller place. Back then, a great forest grew at the center of the world, and all the people who walked the earth lived at its edges. These humble people, for they were all humble back then, lived their life by a strange rhythm. For as the wind blew through the trees of the great central forest, the acorns chimed and the leaves shimmered. Newborn boughs hummed tremulous melodies to which root-bound hollows harmonized. All day and all night, the great forest played its music, the music of souls. For you see, the great central forest did not grow by accident or divine whim. It was planted by people just like you and me. Today, you and I honor our buried dead by a stone or plaque. But people back then grew their lasting grave markers. Upon each grave was planted a seed, and from each grave grew a tree. One by one, the trees grew ever outward until the whole world rested on its edges so that each person might be able to hear the song of the souls that gave the forest life. And so it was, day in and day out without end. For countless generations, the forest, ever expanding, could be relied upon for its music. And in time, the common folk grew accustomed to it and began to pay it little mind. So constant was the music that few noticed when it would change key with the whim of a northerly breeze or swell with the might of a storm. Hardly anyone at all noticed when it began to waver. One day, it stopped entirely. Few realized its stopping, and no one knew why. But at the end of the great forest's song, no one could seem to die. Hello, one and all, and welcome to a very special episode of Unbalanced Encounters. I'm your host, Patrick Perini, and I am so lucky to be joined today by Emily Graymore. Say hi, Emily. Hello. Good timing. The speedboat has just left. <laughs> Fantastic. Um. <laughs> we love a motor. Fantastic. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, the illustrious Sayer Roberts. Hello, Sayer. Hello. I'm not surrounded by speedboats, but that sounds exciting. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's honestly less exciting than you'd think it would be, genuinely. And our very special guest for this bonus arc, Hunter Weston Thompson, one half of the D&D musical duo Genasi Qua. How you doing, Hunter? I am doing great. I am a speedboat, so <laughs> don't know how this is going to work out, but give it a shot. Speedboats are going to be a little anachronistic in this setting uh, because for this arc, we are going back in time and space and concepts uh, in the world of Astilla. We are uh, telling a little bit of a folktale we begin our story with a song 
It is late afternoon in the sun-drenched edge of the village. And everything is bright and crisp and gold and quiet. And we see a man making his way down a little dirt alley. The shadows play across his face. Hunter, would you please describe the song for us? Yes, I would love to. The song is a furbolg, uh, masculine presenting, has pale blue uh, skin that is, you can tell at one time was probably a vibrant blue, but with age has kind of, kind of shrunk back down, but it still has quite a bit of life underneath it has a large plume of cloud-like hair, so curly, full of accessories, uh, drapes over uh, half of his face. Uh, One eye is peeking out that is also milky white. Um, His ears really just like, kind of satellite dishes just like extend from... (laughs) This cloud, like a skyscraper, you know, just kind of like cresting over. <laughs> Love that. Um, that uh, each have five piercings, each a uh, beautiful kind of spiral uh, metal accoutrement that have their own kind of distinct tune and hum as he jaunts along. He's wearing a poncho made of many different flowers does not seem to have any rhyme or reason to how they are put together, but somehow it works. It's just this kind of nice folksy thing. Uh, Really ugly print pants, uh, but they look comfy. No (laughs) shoes. Um, Has a hollowed bamboo uh, bar through his septum. That's actually quite long. Has tattoos on uh, each arm that are five long thin lines like a guitar fret that end on the hand in a V pattern and also on the hand are runes that really are starting to kind of look like musical notes and underneath the one cheek that you can really see but you can bet there's one on the other side is that little S that you see on violins. I don't know the name of it, but it's the little... Oh, the little carved out hollow bit? Yeah, the little carved out hollow bit. I wish it had a name. I looked it up, but it's just it's just a little S on a violin. But it's right there. He's about seven feet tall. Uh, does have a little bit of a hunch, but for his age, which is up there, he still has quite an imposing kind of figure. And he is walking in a way that is not eyes forward or leading with the front part of his face, but kind of switches from ear to ear to kind of lead his way. So there is a little bit of a zigzag, a little bit of a flow, an ebb and a flow to each step. 
And we see this man wandering, ambling down the street. I'm curious, Hunter, what what on a given Thursday afternoon would the song be getting up to? On a Thursday afternoon, I think there are a lot of Studio Ghibli moments for the song. I think there is probably like a grassy knoll that he really likes to just kind of bake in the sun and has that really long grass that just from like a bird's eye view just like has all sorts of different kind of dancing movement to it. And he is just in bliss sitting kind of cross-legged atop it. Not a care in the world. Amazing. And so I think that's where you're headed to. I think that this hill, which was within your lifetime, the site of a shrine. So put, because it is the place in this part of the village where you can best hear the song of the great central forest. I think that's where you're headed. And I think that that shrine has long since been abandoned ignored it has sort of fallen to rubble and plank but ordinarily it is still and has been for your whole life one of the best places to simply be as you take in the song of the great central forest and i think that that's where you're going and i think that you're going there in what has in the last few months become almost a vain hope Because the song that you have come to rely on day in and day out as that anchor to the world has all but entirely stopped. And I think at first there were moments where if you got to the right place, if you turned your head in just the right way, you could see little flitting visions of blue feathered light play across as high notes eked themselves out of the furthest reaches of the forest. But now, not so much. And I think this is what you're sitting with as you round a corner and see a dog, just a kind of mangy animal that looks to be about 102 rush past you uh, and just whip past your path and actually kind of collide, clatter into some barrels uh, and you hear it whimpering faintly. What do you do? I think when the dog rushes past uh, on my belt is kind of a hollowed out bone that provides some sort of air circulation so there's like always a constant sound and I think with such a sudden move next to me creates this air current that lets me know that you know a spin is about to happen definitely getting bumped into because I couldn't react fast enough in my old age but definitely kind of like following the current um, and hearing the whimpering immediately kind of goes into what's wrong and i will try to get low to the ground get not perfectly level obviously with this dog but 
um, try to approach it uh, as a friend and with a verbal trait I have speech of beast and leaf which allows me to nice. uh, talk to animals incredible they can't talk back sure but they can understand me I'm not really going to actually say things what does a dog song sound like what is the through line Mm-hmm. The through line or the through like melody of like kind of domesticated animals, like what comforts them. And I think I'll use that speech of Beast and Leaf almost in like Song of Beast and Leaf and just yeah. find something easy, simple, something for it to focus on rather than whatever it might be dealing with. Absolutely. Uh, if you would be so kind as to roll me the first roll of this arc, uh, an animal handling check with advantage. Love to. <laughs> Not twenty. Not twenty. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of information here, uh, but I'm gonna turn it over to you. What does this look like? What does this feel like? What what do we see? I think it's a it's a lot of distraction, right? It's a lot of kind of look at the birdie over here. So on his wrists and ankles are these kind of kibasa, which are those uh, percussion instruments that you kind of rub against. And so I think there's a lot of just kind of like, hey, look at my hand over here. And approaching with like a very like low, almost like overtone whistle. And eventually if, if I get close enough to the dog without it freaking out or anything like that, just go, hey there. How are you, buddy? Is there something wrong? Can I help you out? This dog retracts slightly as you move into its space. It is clearly cowled by something. and But the harmonics of your speech and the whistle and the genuine gentleness in your voice kind of bring it down for a moment. And it gives you a bit of a whimper and kind of laps at your outstretched hand. And as you kind of go to, you know, just sort of gently kind of rub the fur of its neck, uh, you feel blood. And on a nat 20, it is pretty quickly evident that this dog was pretty badly hurt. You kind of just gingerly put a little pressure kind of around getting the edges of the of the cut and it is a jagged cut but it's not a bite this was made by something not particularly sharp or animalistic uh at a guess maybe a rock a piece of flint and the dog kind of sits back on its haunches and takes a second to sort of sit in this space and and calm down and i think after a moment of this it kind of gets back up shakily on these just kindling legs and takes a step in the direction that it came from what do you do can i cast a spell of course you can where was it laying just now where did it find like a little sanctuary. 
uh, I think just kind of in the clatter of barrels, there was just it was just sort of like under an awning in a little bit of shade, you know, kind of removed from the line of sight from where it had been running from. And so it just sort of tucked itself back into that space a little bit. Great. Um, I'm going to go up to kind of like a nearby overhanging kind of leaf. Yeah. And I'm going to take this what he's using kind of as a cane every so often. Mm-hmm. But it has a like spider silk string, like a cello bow, mm-hmm. and he's going to rub it ever so gingerly uh, against that leaf, which is going to kind of produce like a little grass whistle sound. Yeah. And I'm going to cast Healing Word on this dog. Uh, go ahead and roll me the 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 health for that. Uh, three plus four, so seven. You kind of see the you know the form of this dog sort of shake itself you know kind of upright as it all of a sudden feels a little rejuvenated and it kind of cranes its neck that seems to be a little bit more mobile and you know kind of sits in its joints uh in a way that is 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 you know kind of very visibly feeling better and it you know kind of sits back and it it yaps at you and then that's right uh, you know, kind of puts its legs up on you and uh, goes to lick your hand again. And then this time kind of bites at your poncho, your your, your kind of um, uh, shawl, and uh, starts to drag you a little bit. Oh, you're going to take me somewhere? All right. Let's see what you got. And with that, we are going to move to our next scene. Sayer, you are in the middle of a fight. You have taken up a position uh, outside of some shops in a busier part of town. And there are two men uh, that are squaring up against you and one of them has just like a hunk of wood that he's pried off of something uh and the other one has a kind of blade you know kind of just slightly sharpened edge of a flat rock they are coming for you uh i would like you please to roll me initiative i shall do that a 10 that's not gonna beat this 12 uh, the man with the rock says, I don't see what business it is of yours, what I do with my damn mutt. And he is going to come swinging for you. Swing away. Uh, he's actually going to throw the rock at you. Uh, that is a 23 to hit. Ouch. Dang. I rolled, I rolled, I rolled very high. <laughs> uh, let's see how much damage This is going great already, guys. Okay, not a lot of damage. Three points of, of, of bludgeoning damage uh, as this rock kind of wings you uh, in the cheek. Uh, would you please describe the shepherd for us? Well, as this rock goes whizzing by his cheek and cuts him, he doesn't flinch at all. It's almost as if he leaned into that throw to accept the cut. And the cut on that cheek is on the face of a somewhat grizzled-looking human man. He's bearded. He is about six feet tall. In his early 40s, he's wearing pretty plain clothing, brown pants, uh, 
a tattered tunic of some sort. He, he's fairly disheveled. He doesn't look homeless quite, but he, it looks like he doesn't care what he looks like. And slung across his back is some kind of weapon. It's got a, he's a, he has a big belt uh, from one shoulder down to the opposite hip that seems to be holding it on. Uh, he's not brandishing the weapon, but it looks as if there's some sort of gnarled root or stick coming up from, uh, from behind his back. And as I said, he just accepts that cut on the cheek and he actually smiles a bit. Uh, as you do, I'm going to turn it right back over to you. It is your turn. He's going to look at the man who threw the rock and say, Well, that was rather foolish, wasn't it? Now you have no weapon. I seem to have no weapon of mine, so what say we just use our hands, eh? And he's going to charge forward and try and punch this man. Ha! <laughs> Fucking incredible. Uh, go ahead and roll that attack. Oh, thank you, a 23. Oh, that's gonna fucking hit. Great. Three damage it is. All right. Uh, you sock him on the jaw, and he kind of oh, stumbles backwards, and he says, Buddy, I don't know what your problem is, but if I got a dog, what needn't be dealt with is my dealing. It's my responsibility. It's my property. Why don't you just back the fuck off, and we won't hurt you? Property, that's an interesting way to speak of a fellow creature. Does a 13 hit? Does not. You hear the other guy come up behind you to bring this chunk of wood down over you, and you just put your arm up, and it crashes over your arm and, like, shatters into three pieces. Uh, And I'm going to turn it back over to you. Well, now you also don't have a weapon, I see. How foolish of you as well. A a pair of fools you both are. And is it my turn again? Yeah, it's your turn. He's going to turn around and punch this other fella. (laughs) Go for it. Oh, no. Critical fail. Oh. All right. Here's here's what I'm going to say. I've never done this before. Because never have I dealt with a character quite like the shepherd who leans in to every hit. Mm -hmm. What does this critical fail look like? He swings around to punch this fellow who snuck up behind him, and it whiffs through the air, and the ground is maybe slick in some way with mud or maybe his own blood, and he slips a bit and tumbles, and instead of trying to catch himself, he throws the tumble into the man, and... He's going down on the ground. It's going to hurt, but he's going to try and take this other guy down with him. Uh, that is fucking fantastic. Uh, you are going to go ahead. We're going to give you... Uh, we're going to get two points of bludgeoning damage as you fall, but I am going to effectively uh, give you uh, an athletics check to see if you drag him down. Ooh, all right. You have to beat uh, just an eight. Well, with a 21, I think that'll be okay. You grab him by, like, the scruff of his jerkin and just pull him to the ground, and now you are both in the mud. 
uh, as the other man runs to get his rock. Uh, and that is going to be his movement and his action to do. Uh, it is at this point that the dog leads the song to the fight. And the dog at this point is like in hunt mode, is like getting you back to its assailant, bringing you to the place where it was hurt, trying to make you understand like you made it understand you. And it starts yapping and barking and growling in the direction of the men that are currently brawling with the shepherd. If I could please have the song, roll me initiative as well. Eight. An eight. Okay, that is going to bring it back around to the uh, the shepherd, actually. All right, he's on the ground with this other fellow. I think he's just going to keep swinging away, trying to bash him with fist or elbow or whatever he can get. All right, go ahead and roll it. And he's laughing while he's doing it. 16. Yep, that'll hit. All right, three damage. Amazing. Uh, he is, he's got like a big old black eye, but he's still, he's still kicking. Uh, it is now the song's turn. Hey there, boy. Uh... Did these men hurt you? That's what I thought. All right, let's let's get a little spicy. Okay, uh, I'm going to find some sort of like railing or something pretty sturdy next to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to. Uh, there are two guys fighting, correct? Yeah. Yeah, one's on the ground. One has just picked up this big rock that looks like it could cut a dog. I'll tell you that for free. Uh, you'll see the song kind of, you know, curl up a lip at that and almost like mirroring the dog in the same way. And I am going to uh, bang my bow staff, which is really a hard thing because there is something called a bow staff, but it's a staff that looks like a cello bow. It's been very hard for me, but there's also another thing called a bow with a bow and arrow. W staff. It's so hard. But I'm going to bang that against this sort of railing so that the string kind of reverberates. And you'll see the song just get kind of very zen and really tune in to what exact uh, pitch that is. Mm -hmm. And kind of turn the string toward the two guys and cast color spray. Ooh! As... His milky white eyes kind of get like a little swirl of color. And it's kind of understood that this is what the song sees from each aspect of sound. So it's almost like in a cone, this is the song's vision, as it were. That's very cool. So now I get to roll 6d10. 6d10. Color hurts. Color hurts. (laughs) 10, uh, 23, 28. So, uh, roll 60, 10. The total is how many hit points of creatures the spell can affect. Creatures in a 15-foot cone originating from you are affected in ascending order of their current hit points. Starting with the creature that has the lowest current hit points, each creature affected by the spell is blinded until the end of your next turn. Oh, wow. That's very good. Uh, yeah. How many hit points does the shepherd have right now? I doubt you're going to be in this, but I'm curious. 47. Yeah, not a bit. Uh, <laughs> these uh, two men, you see their eyes kind of gloss over with this similar milky white and then swirls of deep, 
almost malevolent forest green and sunlight gold just start to like claw at their vision and they both scatter back into the mud and you hear them like, oh, oh fuck what the hell what's going on uh they are blinded for the moment uh and both of them are fully distracted and extricated from uh the shepherd there's nothing that they are going to do while blinded they are just normal ass people that are so fucking scared of what's happening right now like they are on their knees uh so we're gonna turn it back over to the shepherd the shepherd knows a thing or two about magic and knows it probably originated from this fellow over here. So the shepherd's going to get up slowly, dust himself off, look over to the song and say, thank you very much for that. And he's going to casually walk over to the two men. And I don't know how close they are, but he wants to crack their skulls together. I, that, yes, I'm going to go ahead and just... <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is... Uh... Well, I'm totally making this up on the fly. Uh, we're going to say this is an improvised weapon. I'm going to say these are D6 improvised weapons. Uh, so go ahead and give me one D6 plus strength. Five total. And down they go. Uh, and the dog just starts freaking out like, <laughs> like very excited and very happy to not have to deal uh, with its apparently malevolent owner uh, anymore. Uh, and with that, we are out of initiative. Uh, I'm going to bend down and uh, check on the dog leg. Do you see what you did? You did so good in that fight. You get your little vengeance there. Now, vengeance is not the answer, but it does feel kind of good sometimes. If a dog could laugh sardonically... All right, boy, let's uh, let's go meet our, our new friend, shall we? And I'll just kind of say that a little bit louder for the shepherd to hear. Sure, and that actually stops him because he was just, he was sort of examining the cut on his cheek, touching it with his hand, and he was just starting to walk away. But he hears you say that a bit louder, and he stops and turns and gives you a bit of an inquisitive look with a raised eyebrow. Excuse me. Sir, might I have a word? You can have as many words as you like. I appreciate that. Uh, this here's my friend, Buddy. What? Yes, Buddy, I think you should find yourself a new owner. Mm. In fact, not even an owner, just find yourself a new companion, eh? <laughs> I like how you put that. Uh, did you have a problem with these two... Fellas. Well, I saw what that one did to this here creature, and I thought, no, that won't do. You've got a great sincerity in your voice. I thank you for that, I guess. Ah, you're welcome. It is at this moment that the two of you hear the loudest, most ear-splitting whistle of your fucking lives just... Uh, and as you turn to identify the source of it, you see uh, an old woman with, like, her hair kind of up in a rag uh, slam two bowls of noodles down on the counter, turn around, and walk back into the kitchen. I did not order these noodles, but I will never turn down a bowl of noodles. And he quickly <laughs> tucks into one bowl. <laughs> never turn down noodles. I feel like I would have, like, a little mortar kind of pestle on me 
uh, I'm going to take the mortar and split uh, some of the broth from the noodles and kind of put it on the ground for the dog. The dog just goes to lapping it up. So, friend, uh, you get in street fights pretty often. Uh, And through noisy slurps, the shepherd just sort of turns towards the song and mumbles something to the effect of, what does it look like to you? And he is indeed covered in quite a few bumps and bruises and scars. I feel like those who go to war, and it seems like often for someone not of themselves, especially those inferior that cannot stick up for themselves, well, I would consider them a friend, ultimately and indefinitely. Good on you. I don't do it for praise. I don't do it for anything, actually. I just... You'll do it for noodles. And she puts down two little things of pickles as she turns back around to the two of you. Do you think if we keep talking all all day, she'll just keep bringing out an assortment of all sorts of food? Because I could go with that deal. Listen, the two of you deserve a square meal. Those two were thugs and hooligans, and I will not have them darkening my establishment with their unnecessary violence toward a admittedly past his prime dog, but one that deserves respect nonetheless. I don't really cotton to the idea that just because a dog is past its prime and can't pull its weight, it ought to be put down, regardless of how old the old muddy is. Assholes. And the shepherd says, even dogs who are past their prime deserve respect. It's what I always said about my late husband. The shepherd laughs. <laughs> the song laughs as well. Here's a, a pickle to new friendship, huh? The shepherd looks at him for a moment, and picks up another pickle and says, I'm not one usually for friends, but you seem a valuable companion. And he touches his pickle <laughs> to the song's <laughs> <laughs> I think as you like as you touch pickles right as you touch pickles uh, <laughs> uh, this woman turns around and she has just like three uh, like three little you know kind of vodka cups and she looks at you and she just kind of shakes her head uh, <laughs> and sets down uh, a couple of drinks in front of you uh, and says uh, <sighs> thank you both the shepherd slurps up more noodles and says don't mention it Ma'am, I have a question, if you don't mind. Of course not. My new friend here, Buddy, he's a big fan of your your broth. Ought to be. Family secret, three generations. Yeah, I can tell. Is it chicken? Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> this woman is my spirit animal. <laughs> that spirit animal, a chicken. <laughs> Don't you go spreading that around. Uh, do you have any more room maybe for another employee? And I'll just kind of look down at the dog. Can carry his weight. Well, we'll give him a trial period, see how it goes. But I'm going to be honest with you both. I don't think he's got a lot of weight left to carry. Poor thing's been hanging on by a thread for nearly two years now. I see him out in the streets sometimes, every time looking... Closer and closer to death, and it just don't come. I know how he feels. The shepherd's actually going to stop eating for a second, and he's going to 
reach down his hand and sort of snap his fingers to get the dog's attention. And as the dog comes close, Shepard's going to start petting him, and he's going to lay on hands 5 HP to the dog. I, I don't know if lay on hands allows for, like, overhealing, but the dog, like, kind of gets a, <laughs> like, you just gave him, like, a fucking shot of espresso. Um, <laughs> and he kind of gets up to his feet, you know, kind of starts to do a little bit of run back and forth, just enjoying his body for a second. But before too long, the movements get sluggish and the joints slow down and the tail wagging stops and he comes back to rest at the bowl and is just kind of slowly lapping up the broth. The song is going to take a good beat, like a good pregnant pause after what she said, because he knows that the song that he's heard has grown quite distant and he has grown incredibly old himself, but continues on and there's something there and he'll say to the woman, but kind of addressing the shepherd as well. And in you know, you're new to the song, so he's not... He just kind of looks away all the time, but you can tell that he's addressing you. It's just his... his it seems like his focus is somewhere else. Ma'am, it is pretty interesting how perspective can shape our entire existence. A single thread might not sound like a lot, but it really only takes one string to create a symphony. So this dog here, sure he might be hanging on by that single solitary morsel, but I think he's making the most of it. I got a new friend out of the deal. That's really all we can hope for. Are you a monk? You talk like one of them hoity-toity preachers. <laughs> No, ma'am, I just really like noodles. <laughs> well, there's more where that came from for some good folk, but I tell you, you, you make a good point, stranger. You make a compelling argument for the value of life everlasting, but now well, you look like a gentleman who's up in years himself. You've had loss. You must get tired. Everybody wants to stick around for one more day, but when you stick around for one more day, every day, it does start to wear on the old bones. That it does. I don't think we're meant to carry our own tune for all that long. We gotta teach our songs and move on. You're absolutely right. I'm very curious. The shepherd is not a young man by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think is is someone that we would consider to be elderly in the way that the song and the noodle woman are. Um, I wonder how familiar is the shepherd with this kind of relatively recent idea that death has simply stopped coming for people. It's definitely something he's noticed with the way he conducts himself, both in his own mortality and the mortality of those that he has been in conflict with. And he's picked up on it because the reason he's in this position is because of the loss he's experienced. And 
the predicament the world seems to be in right now, where death is not something that comes, is unbelievably unfair in his eyes at this time. Why now? Why not before when they could have been saved? And I think you sort of are thinking about that as this woman kind of sits and pours herself another slug of vodka uh, and sips at it. At this conversation that she seems to be alluding to about this phenomenon, the shepherd's demeanor changes and he clams up and he becomes quite dour. I'm going to... Since it's just kind of the noodle woman who's kind of doing her job and maybe is just kind of hanging about because we're, you know, like the pit stop of like a good booth when you work at a restaurant. It's just like, okay, those are some cool people. Get a little breather. I'm going to clock the shepherd and there's something to be said about when everything is fine or when everything's excitable, there's something about breath that really tells a story but when something really affects you you just kind of stop everything for a moment and the song has this very rudimentary instrument in this bow staff and he's going to kind of like pluck an acorn and just kind of rub it against the string to create like a very unexpected sound something that is surprisingly very sweet and just kind of plucks with it and giving it the beat that I think someone just hit with a certain thought needs because you don't want to notice that and immediately go, hey, what's going on? Uh, excuse me, friend. Where are you off to? The shepherd laughs a little bit and says, off to? Nowhere in particular. I have no destination. Well, maybe the uh, the opposite question is more astute. Uh, where'd you come from? And I, I don't really mean location or geography or topography. I just... I hope I don't rub you the wrong way, but there's a lot of movement behind your eyelids. I could, uh... See the deep violets. Are you all right? With sigh, the shepherd puts down his eating utensil and says, I come from a place of great unfairness. I come from a place where the world stopped making sense. And now I move forward in this place I do not recognize where am I going I do not know I do not know what the end is if there is in fact an end and he gestures all around him as in fact there appears not to be no where I came from is gone and I can never return and goes back to eating noodles the noodle woman is just like that was beautiful. Well, to me, it sounds like a hell of an opportunity. 
can't return to where you came from, so that means full speed ahead. And uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, I can't see so good. But uh, I follow sounds, music everywhere. I think a lot of us are just kind of wrapped up in our own what-ifs to realize the music all around us. And if that can lead us to some sense of this whole situation, I'd be happy to help you find it. The shepherd stops eating again and just turns and looks at the song and says, You are a strange one indeed. I am not looking for sense. I am not looking for a destination, but full speed ahead is what you said, and I, I do resonate with that. Also, I think you, I mean, you're, you're a young person, let's be honest. I think you thought he was speaking in metaphor when he was talking about the music. Young people today don't know nothing about the song. Now he's being literal. He's talking about literal silence, the literal ending of sense. I, I listen. Maybe it just takes a couple of old timers, but I, I see you, buddy. I hear what you're putting down, and ain't nothing been right since the song stopped. No, nothing has been. Well, look, you're not going to find anything of beauty with me, but I can promise you. A great calamity of sound. I'll take that. Sounds beautiful to the right ears. (laughs) Let me get this straight, old timer. You're thinking about trying to figure out where the the music went? Ma'am, I've been following the music since day one. If I stop following now, I've lost myself completely. So yes, ma'am, I'm going to find it. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world, and I don't know if I should be telling you this, because folks don't always take too kindly to her, but I think you might want to go seek the advice of the Phantom. She was quite a help when my late husband died. (sighs) I was hoping I'd be the one to see her sooner rather than later and join him, but she's lived in the Great Central Forest for as long as anybody could remember, and a lot of people think she's crazy, but she might be able to help you on your quest. Ma'am, you have been an amazing help on this journey that I feel like is just starting. Might I, uh, give you a gift? I... That that seems wildly unnecessary, but uh, hey, if you're offering, you were saying that we uh we have a special brand of music that we both come from, and yes, sir. My condolences on your late husband, but uh, I'm going to cross some boundaries. Uh, I'm going to, ma'am, if you don't mind, it's just uh he's. The song is towering over this lady. Yeah, she's like four foot eleven. And is just kind of looking off, but huge smile. This furball, just like a smile that like creases up to, uh, you know, hundreds of crow's feet. And just, but there's something incredibly disarming about it. 
And as he steps closer, I'd like to think that she gets kind of wind of all of these different little intricate sounds from the wind chimes on his ears to the beads in his hair to just this kind of aura. And it's like, he's going to place like the palm of his hand kind of like on the top of her chest and kind of put his fingers over her shoulder. Yeah. And he's just going to, as disarming as he can, close his eyes and listen for probably like 20, 30 seconds. And after that nod to himself, get down on one knee. It's like, ma'am, if you could rest your head on my chest for a moment. She, at first, I think was completely taken aback, but in this quiet moment, hearing all of the music that just is produced by the song's presence and outfit, takes a breath and sits in that space and does uh, does what you ask. Mechanically, I am going to cast Guidance okay. on this woman, which is a gift from my subclass, which I think is important to note, College of Spirits. And uh, the moment I was absorbing, as cheesy as it might sound, was the thumping of her heart as she talked about her husband. Yeah. And through the guidance and through these kind of stories is going to make his heartbeat not just kind of match his, like from her perspective, Mm-hmm. but kind of have like a percussive nature of following beats of their relationship. And he will stay there as long as she so chooses. I think that goes on for like a while, right? I think she sits there in that space until like the shepherd kind of moves a little bit and there's like a creaking of wood and then she sort of realizes where she is and, and what's happening. And she looks up at you with tears in her eyes and says, if you do find the music, you come back to me and tell me about it, won't you? I think I'll find it. You just, uh, you gave me a head start there. I appreciate it. And with that, we are going to jump to our next scene. Emily, you are sitting in your back garden, watching a pair of badgers that you have been watching for 10 years. These badgers have been on your radar for near death for 10 years. And at this point, (laughs) it has become like a daily ritual of, is today the day? It has to be the day. Would you please describe the phantom to us? (laughs) So... The Phantom is, most people would say she's an old woman. She's an old creature of some description. She's four foot something, likes to think she's about five foot something, isn't. I think most of that height is made up with her crazy silver hair. Um, It's maybe saw a comb a while ago. 
Uh, and amongst that crazy head of hair, she has uh, two horns poking out that kind of misshapen, a little bit wonky, uh, one going one direction, the other kind of going up the other. Beneath those two large ears that are now drooping down, the, the holes that her piercings in are kind of stretched with age as she's worn earrings that are way too heavy for the skin. <laughs> and it's just slowly pulled them down over time. She has around her shoulders a shawl of her own sort of making. She loves to macrame and spends her time sort of knotting things together, piecemeal, crocheting, things like that. And this shawl that covers these hunched shoulders is filled with um, sort of the long threads of the macrame that kind of come down off the edges and they have little knots in the ends and things. And whenever she's walking around the forest, she's not going to be away from her walking stick, uh, sort of an old wooden club that she found somewhere in the woods at some point more years ago than she can remember. And the head of which has been worn down over time from her holding onto it for so long. And in the other arm is a basket, usually full of wool and macrame bits, sometimes mushrooms, who knows, depends on her mood. Uh, and that's... I suppose the only other feature I would say is through the wrinkles and the time is a cheeky smile. Always hiding there somewhere. And I am extremely interested in sort of what the little uh, diorama is that we get of the Phantom watching these like truly ancient badgers like like limp their way across the fields foraging for insects and and grubs like what does this look like i <laughs> i think the phantom is there sort of on a cobbled together porch in a cobbled together rocking chair that creaks loudly as she sort of rocks back and forth watching them uh little cup of tea in her hands that kind of clinks as she kind of shakes ever so and she's just glaring at them <laughs> over her cup of tea. Yeah, a little, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. She'll uh, shuffle into the house, bring out a little something, and kind of throw it towards the badgers. And just where she sees there's like a an old tree that has a branch that looks like it's about to fall. You know, it's like on its last legs, this branch. And so she kind of tosses this little peanut butter sandwich underneath the branch and sees the badger head over to the... She's like, yes. Oh, yes. That's it. Now just a strong gust of of wind. And ho the... <laughs> She hears the creaking of the tree as the wind blows just at the right point. And the branch falls, crashes into the ground. Yes. And then the badger kind of just pokes its head up from behind the, the branch, bottles away with the peanut butter sandwich. God damn it. And that's her day, most days. It is at that moment <laughs> that the song and the shepherd uh, announce their presence at the Phantom's cottage. 
uh, kind of nestled in deep into the edge of the great central forest. Uh, what what does that sound like? What does that look like? How do you how do you all announce yourselves? I think the shepherd just walks right up to the door and bangs and says hello. And after about five seconds, he goes, "But I guess no one's home. What should we do?" Hey, buddy. And I'm gonna address the badger with like a peanut butter sandwich. The badger's like wandered up to the front. Hey, uh, have you seen a a woman around here, the phantom? This badger sits back on its haunches, takes the peanut butter sandwich out of its mouth with both hands, rolls its eyes, and then gives you like a little head juke to the back garden, and then puts the peanut butter sandwich back in its mouth and saunters off. (laughs) I'm going to look at the shepherd and just say, had an attitude that one. Oh my gosh. I was more focused on the peanut butter sandwich in its mouth. <laughs> that is a good point. Did it make it? It's, that's a very talented badger. <laughs> it's an impressive badger. I will give it that. I wonder if there are more sandwiches back that I could do with one. There's like a whole badger bakery. <laughs> a badger bakery. That's that's a good business that's, plan. That's a retirement plan right there. Oh, well, he said she's in the back. Oh, well... Let's go and see if there are more sandwiches. Looking forward to it. (laughs) And as the two of you make your way kind of around to the back, uh, you, you know, kind of have to navigate what is a fairly dense copse of trees, right? Like the, the Great Central Forest is old and gnarled and... In your experience, often very bright and soft, despite those facts, uh, you know, moss-covered roots and, you know, kind of loamy ground uh, are the norm almost year-round in the Great Central Forest, but that has become less true in the intervening years, and today it is dark and cold and... The sort of loam on the ground has been replaced with leaf litter and gravel in a way that doesn't feel anywhere near as reassuring as it once did. But it is perfect aesthetic backdrop for the gnarled old woman on the back porch of this building uh, who is uh, rocking and cursing at badgers when you arrive. Oh, hello. Uh, Come over, come over. Shepard's going to lean towards the song and say, Are we sure this is the right woman? Well, she looks uh, old, so yeah. (laughs) I was going to say a bit crazy, but old is also a descriptive word that would apply to her. I think with age, you just get more crazy because your cynicism doesn't have anywhere to go. (laughs) I love that. That is fair. I think as we kind of go to the backyard area from that description of this kind of like overgrown, kind of sharper branches that are kind of uh, in shrubs that are just overgrown, you can see his face just kind of contort a little bit more because I can't see the individual branches. It's just kind of like a full, uh, yeah, smudge, a full kind of blob right there that I'm kind of going through. So I get a little scratched up. Ma'am, we're 
we're on our way. Just, uh, just one moment. Uh, it's quite all right. Um, uh, one of you come to die. We're in the rat place. Uh, the shepherd just laughs. <laughs> I do hope so. It's been such a long time. As I approach, I'll address the phantom. Ma'am, it's very nice to meet you. We are actually here for that same sense. We were talking to the noodle woman back there. You helped her with her uh, late husband. Oh, Bertha, yes, yes. Arthur was an awfully lovely chap. Uh, come in. Um, yeah, I've got some more sandwiches. Do you like um, I've got some sandwiches. I've heard great reviews. <laughs> <laughs> the, ba- the badger looked very pleased. Well, that's awfully good. Oh, come on in. And she's going to jump off her uh, boop boop, like drops down by about a foot after coming off of the, the chair and kind of shuffles into into her house. I'm going to look back at the shepherd and go like, <laughs> does she have hair or does the hair have a body? Now, I've never heard it put that way, but, you know, I think that might be correct. All right. Well, into the fray. I don't know why, but I just like imagine there's a beaded curtain. (laughs) (laughs) There is now. (laughs) Shepard's just going to sort of look around this garden, look at the house, shake his head a bit and like, what am I getting myself into? And walk inside. <laughs> She's busying herself at the counter. Uh, you, you sit yourself right there. Uh, there we go. I'll be right with you. I bonk my head so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so many dangly things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I am actually very curious, uh, Emily. What does the Phantom's home look like? Those kind of low-beamed ceilings, cobwebs in the corners, a little bit ramshackle, but she has got a very large fireplace in her kitchen with um, typical sort of like big bubbling something in a cauldron going on in the fire. Herbs sort of hanging from the rafters as they're drying out. And even though it looks tired and obviously has been left to its own devices in the woods for some years um it still feels very homely and very warm and inviting so it's tired but cozy i think is what her home is and there's a snoozing cat somewhere and lots of cushions and old lady house and so as you both kind of make your way into this space and try to figure out how to kind of make yourself feel at home in the presence of this probably deranged death obsessed woman wow rude uh i am (laughs) i am very curious uh as to how the song specifically is kind of experiencing this space like what does this look like for the song the song enters this space in a very comfortable intro if you just think of these experiences like a uh, like a symphony, if you were, uh, just this composition and having something like a beaded curtain to, if you imagine just kind of opening it and it closing and hearing all those clacks, almost like echolocation, just kind of go throughout the space. And then, uh, according to the Phantom, this is such a 
cool space for the song because in one corner there's the fireplace and it crackles and it has smells and that really illuminates this whole area in a very autumnal kind of color palette and it's almost giving like a low thrumming percussive uh, ambiance to this whole experience and then there was a cauldron which is kind of like these like hi-hats of bubbles kind of giving like a more on top of that uh giving like a cool color so really kind of rounding out that experience of warm to cool and uh the cat purring is such an interesting almost like uh a cello or a tuba or something you know just kind of low and growling and you know kind of with the movement that goes along with it and combine that with of course there's got to be like incense burning somewhere yeah she's that kind of woman for sure (laughs) just the general mishmash of the kitchen kind of stuff so it's the song gets immediately comforted and relaxed because there's something about the space that tells such a complete story that is exactly kind of how the shepherd put it, like the sense uh, that we're going toward. And against that backdrop, I would actually like you to please roll me a perception check. For sure. This is where you see all the corpses in the corners. (laughs) Natural 20. You're kidding. (laughs) Come on. Fantastic. Uh, So... For 24. On a natural 20. Yeah, right. For 24. Um, as you sort of make yourself comfortable in this space, you see these bits of sound and smell and smoke kind of wisp off of and collide with many of the structures in this room. And you start to notice that a lot of stuff in this space is made of effectively driftwood right like it's made of reclaimed branches and fallen bits of timber and like twigs that have been bound together off of all of the trees from the forest and in this forest in particular that has a weird effect for you because you see the distant fringes of the souls that inhabit those trees in every surface of this room i'm curious as to how you react to that i don't think the song really addresses it directly i think while the phantom is in the kitchen he'll find something reachable something kind of innocuous uh a piece of the driftwood furniture and get the bow staff out and rub the string so gently and I think what the phantom in particularly hears it stirs you in a way that that particular person did like a a certain vibration and you just kind of hear that from your living room I think without even turning around the phantom is just going to call from the kitchen for heaven's sake don't get kevin talking the last time he did he wouldn't shut up for three months 
I remember it like it was yesterday. Still grates my teeth. I had to bang pots and pans together for four days straight before he got the message. And she's going to bustle in with a tray that kind of... You know how uh, when you have a slight shake, the china tinkles a little bit as she's kind of coming in with teacups and a pile of peanut butter sandwiches about a foot tall. (laughs) Each one, like the slice of bread is like a doorstop. Just badgers at the window salivating. (laughs) She puts it down on a a little kind of uh, raw edge kind of coffee table um, and... Is uh, is your friend going to come in, or are they going to loiter outside some more? I'm not sure. I'll go let him in. I'll uh, step outside and say to the shepherd, Hey, the phantom is wondering where that badger went Um, to come inside. <laughs> you can come in too, if you want. No, no, I was going to, I was going to. I'm just sort of getting my bearings. This is, um, well, you can probably tell this is a bit of a strange place you get a strange feeling as i do do you i'm gonna be straight with you friend we're way past bearings there's no compass where we're going indeed off the map full speed you do know the right thing to say yes yes of course in we go in we go i i i haven't felt things like this in a in a long time i i used to be somewhat of a Somewhat of a spiritual man myself, but I've long since left that behind. But this place reminds me of uh, many, many things I have not felt in a while. But um, no, yes, uh, by all means, lead the way. All right. And I do. And Shepard follows. Ah, there you are. Sit down. Here I made you some sandwiches. Is there anything in particular about them besides peanut butter? Is there perhaps a jam or a jelly or a honey perhaps mixed in with them? (laughs) She just looks up at you, a cheeky grin on her face. Jam in it. You know, people would come for miles around for my jam. I won so many awards. You know, in fact, I made a plum jam so good it started a war. Yes, yes. Ah, those were good days. The secret ingredient to the plum jam is actually a little bit of lemon juice. That really gives it the kick that it needs. Yes. Oh, and I used to travel for miles to get those lemons. Came all the way from halfway around the world. I had this gentleman on a boat. He used to bring them to me. What a handsome sailor he was. He would bring them all the way into the forest. And all he would ask for in return was a kiss. Oh, he was a charming young man. And good lemons, too. He takes a sandwich and he sits down. There we are. That wasn't so hard. Now, and she's going to pull herself up on a chair. What can I do? Are you feeling poorly? Or I don't suppose you know someone who's feeling poorly? I'm going to spend the next three minutes sitting down from so high up. <laughs> uh, ma'am, my friend and I here, we are recently on a uh, self-imposed mission. Oh. Have you noticed the the music of the world growing ever so silent as uh, the threads of life just keep hanging on? She mid- sort of a cup of tea to her lips, 
stops as you say that and starts looking around the room. She frowns, puts the cup down very quickly, splashing a little bit of tea, shuffles over to the window, flings the window open and sticks her head out. Um, my God, why didn't anybody tell me the music had stopped? Can't expect an old lady to be able to hear that well, goodness sake. How long has this been going on for? I know I've been up here on my own for God knows how long. Nobody dying, even the badgers won't even have a bloody accident. And I'm here waiting and waiting and no one tells me the music has stopped. Ma'am, I think it's been too long and uh, kind of makes what would be eye contact for the song to the shepherd uh not long enough kind of recognizing the the plight from earlier she's gonna turn around sort of slam the the window closed the room kind of (laughs) shaking a little bit dust motes kind of sprinkling down shuffles angrily over her to her chair sits down i remember the days when people wouldn't leave me alone I had men so handsome fighting over me all the time. And, you know, I had two men, swords, you know, fighting for me. I was, I was so beautiful. Back in the day, I do remember a charming, charming young man. Uh, Men, they, they were. And, oh, how they fought. They fought so terribly long. Two hours, you know, they were at it, yes. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting off track. Just a badger in the window rolling <laughs> its eyes. <laughs> right, right. This this shan't do. Um, oh, I know. She shuffles into the kitchen. And you hear pots clanking and pans and things being moved around very quickly. Cupboard doors kind of slamming. And she comes out with uh, a basket a little wicker basket that's been kind of hand-woven. And it's got one of those um, gingham fucking picnic blanket things like (laughs) in uh, in it. And she starts pulling up the um, peanut butter sandwiches and putting them in the basket and things. Come on, come on, eat them now if you want to eat them. Otherwise, we'll just have to have them on the road. And the shepherd sort of goes, I, oh, I, uh, and starts to grab a couple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's get a move on. Oh, I can't forget my walking stick. You know, this, this used to be the toothpick of a god. Oh, yes, yes. I remember I was walking up in the mountains one day and I saw it just sticking out of some boulders. And I thought, oh, that's handy. I'm getting rather tired walking up this hill. It was... I remember it was, I think, five miles high, this mountain. I was above the clouds. I could see for miles. But, you know, by that point, one gets a little bit tired and knees get a bit stiff. So I saw this thing sticking out between some jagged you know, boulders and things. And I pulled it out. And all I hear is a giant rumbling saying, excuse me, madam, that's my toothpick. And the whole bloody mountain was talking. And I thought, well, bugger this. I'm off. And so off I went with the walking stick. All he could do was grumble and shout, of course, because he couldn't bloody move. It was awfully good fun. But anyway, here we are. Off we go. I hope you're ready. Oh, uh, no time like the present. Ready for what? Uh, Well, we'll have to go to the... 
dear now, what was it called? Um, oh, yes, the first tree. Have I heard anything about the first tree? What a great question. You are all free to make history checks, if you are so inclined. 19 plus 2, 21. Ooh. Flat 19 for me, too. Good lord. Oh, I got a 19. Ha! 18 plus 1. <laughs> 19th, 19th. Yeah! The first tree is something that you all would have heard of, and I think few of you would have ever given a lot of credence to. The first tree is, as the stories go, the tree that grew at the center of the great woods. It was the first one that was planted before there even were people to plant. It has been there since before the beginning of time, or at least as far back as the stories go, and is said to be massive and sprawling hundreds of feet across. Kids' stories. So why the Phantom is bringing this tree up now as if it's a place that you could theoretically go to, you're not sure. Ma'am, I've heard about the first tree, but how do we arrive there? Well, isn't it obvious? No, ma'am. Well, you just follow the trees as they get bigger and older until you get to the first one. That's what my grandmother used to say. You know, I've never been there myself, but too busy, you know, with uh, men chasing me and what have you. But, uh, but we should go. I'm sure the answer is there. All right. I'm in. And Shepard stands up, finishes the bite of sandwich he had, and he claps his hands and says, Well, I have nothing better to do. Why not? A jaunt through the forest will always do us good. Fantastic. There we go. Now. Uh, I think I've got enough uh, supplies to last us. And she lifts the uh, the gingham like blanket and there is just a heap more of the peanut butter sandwiches. She didn't even need to take the ones off of the plate. She did anyway. Oh, I'm so lucky to have two handsome men by my side again. Oh. Okay, <clears throat> pull yourself together, woman. And off we go. And she's just going to whoop, 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 stride with her little legs out of her house. Shepard's going to look at the song and go, I don't know what you've got me into, boy, but we're here now, aren't we? Lead the way. One moment. I'm going to look back at the cat and with speech of beast and leaf go, this is very nice to make your acquaintance. Uh. Just resonant purring. All right, <laughs> let's get out of here. You get the decided sense that this cat is going to like look after the house oh, yeah. <laughs> while the phantom is gone a hundred percent and with that we turn the page and we see little watercolor montages of our unlikely trio winding their way deeper into the great central forest until at last they reach the center in the center of the great central forest, every tree stands a thousand feet tall. Whispers 
of wind through the leaves should sing songs of peace and rest, but you find that they are restless indeed. And the phantom and the shepherd see gnarled, dense canopies, branches binding together into a ceiling of impenetrable wood that blots out the moon and the stars. Leaves are absent from this place, and all of the bark is gray. Roots from these massive trees tendril out, forming mycelial networks in the ground. Up to a point, and you reach a clearing a hundred feet wide, where there is nothing. Nothing left but the faintest imprint of roots and stumps. And before you react, I'm very curious as to how the song is perceiving this space. Tree trunks a thousand feet tall, canopies that are dense, imposing, not in a good way. So the song is crying, I think because this moment should be like in an orchestra pit of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Like the acoustics should be perfect, everything harmonizing. And this is staggered breathing, uh, grieving wails, uh, nothing on note or pitch, uh, nothing is falling into place and so it is discordant and maybe they recognize after a few steps that the song has immediately shown his age and is lost in this moment especially as it gets to that clearing where nothing makes sense he thought silence would be the worst thing but this is this is equalizing that it is it's sound that doesn't make sense all sound was music and now it's just he's never felt anything like it he can't he can't place it so it's just it's black it's burgundy it's deep purples but they're not mixing they're clashing they're not watercolors they're just there are colors at war with each other. You all stand in this space of deafening, cacophonous silence. What do you do? Firstly, I think um, I'm going to cast light. Can I do like a perception check? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what does it look like when the phantom casts light? I think she takes her old sort of... Um, walking stick and whispers and the top where it's been polished just glows brighter and brighter a sort of a warm sunlight uh just kind of fills the head of this um walking stick that she holds sort of out in front of her to to light her way and i'm gonna see if I see 
anything. I got a dirty 20. I love this, and this is very good. I want to give everyone else an opportunity to give me some rolls simultaneously, because I feel like you're all probably trying to move through this space in some way. And so insight is applicable here, perception, investigation, really any of the, you know, kind of uh, uh, intelligence rolls would work as well. So uh, for the shepherd in the song, how are you approaching this? I think this is coming from maybe a survival instinct now for the shepherd. He entered this day accompanying the song with a really whimsical attitude. He doesn't have a whole lot of aim in his life. He sort of follows the whims of whatever happens. And he started this adventure thinking this is going to be a silly fun time. Look at these colorful characters. And now suddenly he's in this quite terrifying part of the woods that he's never been before. So he has quickly switched from a very laid-back demeanor to being very tense. And his glances are much more furtive now. So I think I think a survival roll, maybe? Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll it. How about the song? If I can, I would like to, according to your description, go nearer to or in the clearing yeah. where there were uh, deadened roots. And I'm going to do something kind of like, it's an interesting flavor, and I don't know what kind of role would go with it, mm -hmm. but a uh, racial feature, uh, Furbolg magic, I can cast Detect Magic. Mm -hmm. And the way I'm going to flavor this is everything's through sound, right? And you two see song is not sprightly right now. It is... There is, there are tears, there is, he looks old, but he gets to that clearing. He feels like there's something that will give answers there. And he drops his cane that he's really using right now, gets on his hands and knees and through this very innate, uh, internal magic gets low to the grass and pounds the dirt with a fist to just create sounds to reverberate. So detecting magic is just like, tell me you're in there kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to ask for an insight check made at advantage, please. Because we're going to start, I think, with uh, the shepherd. Uh, what was your survival role result? It was a 10. So specifically, I think he was he's looking for where have they come from? Where are there other pathways? He's trying to get his bearings. Absolutely. Um, you do know where you have come from, right? Like I, the, the, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's funny that there's almost a tendency to think like, oh, like fairy tale vibes, magic, spooky forest. This is definitely a place where we're gonna get sort of turned around, and 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 to, I think the the shepherd might be you know kind of carrying some of that 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 bias into this moment like oh we're going to get lost in this place but you turn around and the path that you have blazed into this space is right there and you know how to get in you know how to get out other exits from this now clearing would require carving a new path right like this is not a place that people go and as a matter of fact i would imagine that uh as you were moving into this space there were you know knives and and um 
you know, kind of hatchets to bring down some of the dead wood and thorn that was just sort of in the way. Like you had to push your way into this space. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this it's you 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 have a good understanding of this space. And I think that that does two things for you. I think one, there's a sense of 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 foreboding, right? There's a sense of like, oh, I I am in an enclosed area. There is not a lot of. There's one way in, one way out, and we made that way in. But likewise, it is unlikely that threats are going to descend upon you in this space. It feels. It feels unthreatening. In what I think is. A very familiar way it feels unthreatening in the way that the remnants of a burnt building feel unthreatening in that they are no longer threatening the song's role was 24 Ooh, nice i think that's the second or third 24 you've gotten here i'm here <laughs> for it 15 plus 9 we like consistency in our games uh you find yourself pounding in this hollow where this tree once was. There is sound that comes from that, right? Like the earth does react to your touch. The, the body physic is at work here, right? Like you are not in such a surreally magical place that your actions no longer have consequences. However, the ground isn't the only thing that reacts. As you pound on the ground, you see Spectral hands wisp out of the roots of these nearby thousand-foot-tall trees, reaching out and drawing back. And then you hit again, and they reach out, and they draw back. And with each thud of your fist, they seem to draw a little bit closer. And on a 24, you seem to understand that they are reaching out for some kind of direction or grounding. This is not a malevolent curse that is lunging and retreating. It is desperate clawing. Whatever these spirits are, they want some direction, some sound to be coming from where you are currently. I will wipe my tears, set up a location near one of these trees that was reaching out, or if there's something in the hollow that is proper that I could string up, you know, like a couple strings, and I'm going to cast plant growth. That's fucking perfect. Amazing. Plant growth is a really cool spell because if you cast it for longer, it does better in a wider area. Mm -hmm. So the song is going to go into this knowing that he will be here for eight hours if it needs to. Mm -hmm. And I think the others hear staggered music. Definitely how Patrick described the spectral hands turned into song, like that emotion perfectly. And throughout the time it's gonna try to try to against all odds turn into like a song of hope what the phantom sees is any number of faces in the trees shadows that appear to be waiting to jump out at you at every turn you know these woods 
Maybe you don't know them quite this deep, but this is not the trend of old growth in the Great Central Forest. Something is very wrong. These beings, these spirits, these people that inhabit these trees are lost. They have become untethered. And you see that reflecting across their many barked faces. And so you look to the central clearing and you see the song desperately scratching out a song of hope on a hastily assembled lute. And you see that it isn't working. Now, none of you are strangers to magic. You understand that this spell takes time. But you see that the magic nestles into this dead earth and simply dies itself in all places but one. Because at the very center of this clearing, at the very center of the great central forest, you see a berry. And that berry is a midnight, almost umbral purple. And it is roughly the size of a softball. Have I ever seen anything like it before? You could go ahead and run me a nature check if you'd be so kind. A 19. You have seen berries of this rough color grow on some of the highest branches on some of the eldest trees. But nothing this big. And as the music of plant growth kind of settles in around this berry, you see it grow restless and shake just a little bit as if trying to respond. Huh. Do we all see this berry move? You can watch the phantom seeing it. I think the song is preoccupied. You don't quite see that it's like reacting to the music in this way, but you do see that there is this berry at the perfect pinpoint center Mm -hmm. of this forest and that it is abnormal. I'm going to get closer to it as uh, the song is playing their song. And I'm going to cast Detect Evil and Good and see if that does anything. What does Detect Evil and Good look like for the Phantom? The Phantom, as she gets closer to the berry... And she holds her stick out a little bit further out and a little bit higher up. And she starts to hum, almost trying to do it in time and in tune with the song's music. Yeah. And the light sort of pulses out of her walking stick in a ripple, almost like someone's dropped a pebble in a pond. You close your eyes and contemplate this berry and discover that it is, in fact, alive, in a way, and it is fey in nature. But this is almost impossible to perceive under the drowning of undead that you are surrounded by. Yeah, that's fair. So this is almost like one living beacon, like a faint little boop. 
amongst a sea of death. Yeah. I think she's going to place a hand on on the berry itself very gently and just I want to do <laughs> something like spare the dying or bless or something just to kind of protect it in some way. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll do I'll just pop on spare the dying. Just I just want to I don't know, help it not die. Yeah. In case it is dying. I, I'm very curious as to what the shepherd is doing as the phantom is trudging into the center of this clearing. Yeah, with both of these things happening, the phantom moving towards this now apparent something in the middle and the song clearly going through some kind of turmoil. Magic is happening. The shepherd is just going to start skirting around the perimeter of the clearing. Not quite to get to the other side, but trying to get a different vantage point on the situation. Well then, the shepherd is the last to see this berry. A heartbeat in time with the plant growth song. And then the ground falls from beneath you. Oh shit. The phantom enters a space of absolute blackness. As her hands are outstretched around this berry, she falls into a bottomless void, seemingly being dragged down by the weight of this thing, the immensity of this berry. The song has a split second to react to this, but in the process of casting a concentration spell, is not going to be able to take an action, and so instead falls behind. The shepherd, however, on the edge of the grove, is going to get a minute to react. You have seen the ground open up into a bottomless chasm. Stray roots from the bordering trees dangle down into this pit. The ground is giving way beneath your feet. What do you do? The shepherd's just going to dive in after them. Amazing. And the three of you... Enter freefall. And it's not long before you are all kind of at terminal velocity, wind rushing past your faces. And you're all sort of within arm's reach of each other, the phantom's hands outstretched holding on to this berry. The song specifically hears ground rushing up toward you at staggering velocity. Oh no. I am going to turn it over to you all to tell me how you react to this. I will say <clears throat> that there are rocks and branches that are kind of falling alongside with you. Uh, and again, there are um, at the very edges of this chasm, there are roots that have tumbled down that seem to be keeping pace with you. So there are almost these kind of like root strands at the edge of this chasm, uh, but the rest of it is all dust and darkness. And I still have a light on. so we You could do. You can see. see. What's the range on that? Uh, I think 20 feet. Let okay. me double check. So you can't see very far, but you yeah, can see. Yeah, 20 feet around myself. Yeah. You can see sort of centered around your immediate self. So mm -hmm. you guys can probably also see like, 
you know, distantly you can see things that you could theoretically grab onto if you needed to. Um, what do you do? I think it took more of a moment for the song to realize he was falling, like, physically, because that's where the emotional state was. And I don't think he stopped the song. That's very good. (laughs) I think he's still casting plant growth. So if we're surrounded by branches and uh, things like that, I think there is a like strengthening and hardening of things in this like if we could have like a great camera view of like top down of just like everything just kind of uh blooming as we go down uh as you mentioned that uh i recognize that there is ground swiftly approaching us yeah so it's a radius thing but i would focus my energy straight down so that maybe we could land on like a like a flower petal or you know some cute disney thing like that i i love that and i think that's extraordinarily good we're gonna go ahead and count that as an action for you here your contribution to this resolution and i think it's going i think there's going to be consequence to that i'm curious as to what the other two uh, are doing if anything to try to soften this fall um there's not a lot i can do i think phantom is and then it's like as the wind like (laughs) blushing past her uh, (laughs) wizened cheeks Um, I think she's hoping amongst hope one of the others has got this and she's going to cast bless on the others as as we fall just I I hope they've got this fantastic Shepard's got something Okay, what's Shepard got? Shepard's going to Mission Impossible dives style down towards the Phantom and grab hold of her and unsheath the sword from his back and jam it into the side of the chasm to slow their descent. Oh my! Uh, fantastic. Could I get, uh... Your choice of an attack roll or an athletics check here. Attack roll, you get the bless. Oh, that's true. Okay, so it was a 13 to hit. For the attack roll? Yes, that absolutely hits the wall. You feel your blade kind of dig into, uh, you know, kind of this the, 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 the root and dirt uh, that are sort of just beyond your reach. Uh, go ahead and roll damage. I am going to tell you up front that this is going to have a damage threshold of 10. So if you can juice your damage in almost any way, I would recommend it. Okay. I can indeed. Yay. In these moments of peril, the residual magic that rests within Shepard comes forth. And so the damage initially done from the greatsword is 11. Okay. At the same time, Searing Smite is cast, and the sword becomes emblazoned in flame and casts an additional 10, so 21 total. You sink this blade into the earth as if it were just, like, 
butter, right? Just molten mud flying up and off of this thing. And as it cools, you begin to slow. However. Oh, no. You have cast a spell using your sword. I would like you to please roll on the wild magic table for me. Oh, so many things can happen. (laughs) And I'm very close. Oh, no. (laughs) 94. On a 94, your size increases by one size category for the next (laughs) minute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just holding the phantom in the palm of my hand. (laughs) Literally, I was going to say, just... She's having a great time. (laughs) What does this look like? I think actually this works out visually pretty well. As he draws the sword, it's a little bit big to wield with just one hand while he's also holding on to the phantom. But since he is casting magic at the same time, as he drives it into the wall, his size increases. So now the sword is dagger sized in his hand, which matches aesthetically a little bit more. And the phantom is just in the crook of his elbow, effortlessly held now, as they slow to the bottom. And I think what happens is that the song kind of collides with your shoulder, and you hold on as long as you can. And then all of a sudden, the sword gives way, and you are in open air. But you are only in open air for a moment, because you collide... with the overgrown head of a giant mushroom. Hey. Ooh. Okay. Oh, uh, my, what big, strong hands you have. All the better to catch you with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, yes. Anyway, anyone hurt? Good. Oh, there's a... Not much room here for all of us. I like you. I I, I knew I knew you were going to be a fun guy on this trip. <sighs> hey, uh, I don't see a chair, but I like this uh, toadstool. <laughs> look, look, psilocybin meaning to tell you something. You know, you're acting like it's your psyllium, but I think it's my psyllium here. Amazing. <laughs> you all find yourself in a space devoid of characteristics. Before anyone can really get a glimpse, the shepherd sheathes his sword again. And in this moment, you know, you kind of hide your sword away. You shake off the sort of residual spores and dust from these mushrooms. And as you look around, you kind of see that it's it's not dark in this space so much as there simply isn't anything beyond your light. It is a space that, aside from this tiny little wedge of life created by the song that is now quietly kind of tendrilling out of its own accord, it's just devoid of characteristic. There is... Nothing here, except a sound. 
The song specifically hears the tinkling of glass. Slow and distant at first, but over a minute, as you all kind of stretch weary and wizened muscles, it gets louder and louder. And then the shepherd and the phantom begin to see a body hulking shoulders walking on knuckles almost ape-like but the back legs are long and thin pushing this thing forward in almost horse-like gallops wide head with moth wings all in stained glass that seems to clink over itself and then collapse in on itself this body does not seem to be made up of interlocking parts the way organic bodies are it is almost more a trick of the light moving over itself and it approaches you and then stands and as it stands it like shifts its entire body just like uh, cascades down in this crescendo of tinkling glass uh, to look like a humanoid figure vaguely bird-like in appearance but as if it were kind of dressed in a long glass robe and those moth wing eyes look you over marking each of you in turn and then it (laughs) ratchets its head 180 degrees around and you are staring into the face of a glass owl mortals this place is not expecting mortals Whereby do you come to this land? From up there. And the shepherd gestures up. <laughs> the shepherd's like, Phantom is just going to point up. <laughs> and when you point up, the head swings around as the neck like grows a couple of inches and is now pointing upward so that the moth wings are staring straight up into this hole. Oh. A hole? Between worlds? How very odd. Oh well, it simply is. Thank you for telling me. I'll be on my way. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, no, the lady, take it. Uh, uh, sorry, I just want, um, where are we? This creature kind of looks around. And you see it's got this curious thing where it like looks out of one eye and then another and then does it again as if it's looking out of the eyes on the back of its head. Here. Thank you for asking. Now listen here, you. I haven't fallen all of this way to hear stupid answers. Now, where is here? And she's going to go up to it, kind of like shaking her stick a little bit, you know, up at this thing. 
are you to be asking questions of me? You are but a humble, wizened woman of a cottage on the edge of the great central forest. You peddle tall tales of psychopompery. I beg your pardon. I peddle nothing. Who do you think you are speaking to your elders in such a way? The head flips around again. You will not get anywhere with me by telling lies. I, I beg your pardon? Hold me back! Hold me back! The shepherd's just gonna say, No, by all means, you've got this. Okay, well, you're just lucky that my friends are rather delicate souls. You know, you wouldn't be the first glass owl I've put down. There is only one. Yeah, and you're looking at the reason why, buddy. Where's the berry? Uh, I believe the phantom still has it. I have put it in my basket. Under the gingham. Okay, great. Wink, wink. Um, excuse me. Hmm? And the head flips around again. Oh, yes. The minstrel. Go on. I do want to note that I think in the space of nothing, this stained glass-like figure, because there's never nothing, right? There's always something. So this is the first thing. And what a enormity of a moment this is for the song, because this colorful stained glass owl fills the space like a cathedral so everything is this owl kind of in that moment yes um we did fall we don't know where but we did fall with good intent to preserve life by respect and death and I'll kind of like gesture my ears really to the basket we're unsure of locale direction many other things but what we do have is music I would have expected the music to have stopped not if our hearts keep beating I'm wonderfully resilient of you Still, poetry is not fact. The fact remains that the music has stopped and that the music will probably never be present again. And uh, it seems interesting to me to respect death in a world where death no longer exists. But mine is not to judge. I am simply the witness. A witness to what? Oh. And the shepherd is going to step forward and say, Now look here, you. Ah! The lapsed cleric. I was wondering what I might hear from you. And under his breath, he says, Don't call me that. Is it not true? Not anymore. The past, the present, the future, they all simply are. Mine is not. Mm. But look. 
You speak of this song that is no more. You speak of death that cannot be. We are here to help with that. We are not leaving until we do something about it. What else are we here for? What, are we going to climb back up out of the hall? No. We came this way to do something. Yeah. I believe that to be true. Have a nice day. I will not have a nice day unless you tell me how we can do this. Uh, go ahead and roll me an intimidation check if you'd be so kind. I love making my players intimidate Elder Gods. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me smash your windows. <laughs> eight. An eight. Oh no. <laughs> this thing uh, sits down and in doing so kind of takes on the sort of body shape of like a, you've ever seen like a, like a, like a, uh, like a black bear just kind of like sit on its haunches, right? And it's just kind of like upright in that big voluminous way. Uh, and it kind of <laughs> sits down and says, your tenacity is, and so therefore I will give you a piece of information. Death is over because death has died. The Reclaimer is no more. You mortals can't have death without a Reclaimer. It is simply the way things were set up. How is it possible you say we mortals have come down into a world which I am assuming is immortal? How is it possible for something immortal to die? Because it happened. How? was their time. Immortality surely means there isn't a time. Immortality is not immune to change. So they were mortal? No. Well, yes. They still continue to exist. The Reclaimer is in your basket. Uh, so it's just waiting to be reborn? Yes. Oh, well, how do we make it born? How do we... How do we birth it? You would have to invent a cycle of reincarnation. For fear of going around in circles, like your head, um, <laughs> surely reincarnation already exists. It will. Oh no, it already does. Uh, look at the trees with every seed. Oh, that is not reincarnation. The trees are undead. Every tree? Yes. Every tree grown from a soul contains what the soul. What about those ones who are not grown from souls? Those, those trees are simply alive. There's no reincarnation occurring there. Uh, excuse me. Again, another head swing. Yes. You who prefer to fill the world with as much vibrant noise as possible. Yes, that's me. Can I ask you a personal question? I am not a person, but you may try. If you were... to stop... existing, and you could be reincarnated, what... what would you like to be? Go ahead and roll me a persuasion check really quickly. 24. <laughs> These 20, 24 is the That's fucking number. incredible. Oh, That's amazing. fucking incredible. That is not something I've ever had the opportunity to contemplate. 
I assume that your question is within the boundaries of the mortal world, or at least the one that you are familiar with. I will restrain my answer to that. If I could not be as I presently am, and I must be and will be for all possible cycles of reality, I think I would like to be a butterfly. There, you see? Now that is reincarnation. I do understand what reincarnation is. In fact, No, no, I no, could... no, no. Hush you, I'm not talking to you. Now listen, boys. <laughs> a butterfly. Caterpillars reincarnate basically into butterflies. That, that is not reincarnation. Listen, you shush. The caterpillar, it completely disintegrates. Its whole being changes into something new. Comes back again, but it's still itself. I see. We're going to fight him with semantics. I like it. That is not reincarnation. That is simply metamorphosis. There is a different word for that. I'm getting very tired of this overgrown ornament. Phantom, do you mind if I see our new friend and kind of gesture to the basket? She's going to hold the basket to her, almost like a sort of Moses basket, because she feels like there's something delicate inside of it. And she'll gently kind of pull back the the little blanket and offer it out to the song. I'm going to take the berry and I'm going to cradle it like a baby. And I'm going to set my bow staff down so the string is kind of up, kind of like unnaturally. It's curved, but it's staying kind of upright. And I want to look at this witness. And I think for the first time you see this white poofy hair just out of the way. And there's the white eyes just purely white. And they are going to fill with colors of memories that are not his own. From the memories of the trees to the memories of the people in the Phantom's living room to whatever was the spirit of the sword that I saw for a moment. All those colors kind of coalescing. And I want to look at the witness with these kind eyes. Not not intimidating, not going like, oh, look at me kind of thing. Just these like, I'm going to show you where the music is. I'm going to kind of dual cast something if you'll allow me this uh prestidigitation to pluck this string while casting a third level uh speak with plants on this berry okay and so you're trying to also glean some experiences some reclaimed experiences from the berry as well i think i'm gonna ask it the same question i asked the witness that's a very that's very good um and I think the I just want to really specify that the look I give the witness is like, you said the music is no more, and I'm the music in front of you, and you can't deny that. Uh, there, you are going to get two simultaneous but distinct responses. Okay. You get a telepathic message from the berry. And that telepathic message is an endless 
bed of mycelium-like roots. A network, a fabric, a heartbeat pulsing through them. And the witness watches this, and the witness understands, and the witness processes also this telepathic message given to you by this Barry of the Reclaimer. And the witness allows you to speak your piece, so to speak, and in response begins to shift and clatter and tink its facets and plays you in response a melody of disharmony and cacophony of war and murder of torture and abuse of a dog hit with a rock of a building burnt to the ground and then the witness kind of hunches and slinks in very close to you its body almost frog-like in shape now and it says reincarnation is not just for the immortal if we open this door it will be for everyone what makes you think you mortals deserve a second chance. 